filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Uh, so this weekend, uh, I was up at the beach, and um, I was on the South Jersey Shore, which is always interesting because it's not at all like the rest of what you think of when you think of the Jersey Shore. Um, you drive past two different country western clothing uh, outlets to get to this place. Um, but because of uh, Tropical Storm Hermine, uh, I kept receiving messages that were either like, hey, stay safe, have a good trip, but, you know, uh, keep an eye on that weather forecast, or outright scoldings to leave, uh, leave the beach altogether. And on one hand, I shouldn't complain that people care about me enough to reach out and say these things, but there is a part of me that is still like a teenager who just throws a, a small temper tantrum when anyone looks out for me at all, um, because I want everyone to know that I can get through these things. Tell me, and this is the a, story of how you swam three miles uh, over the weekend in the ocean. No, no. Um, I did not go out in the ocean further than, like, midway up my shins because of the rip currents, which were actually unsafe. Um, yes. But still, uh, being up there and having virtually no signs of a tropical storm, other than one day of gusting winds, uh, kind of brought that side out of me, and I sort of spread it around the house. And so by by Sunday... Everyone was talking about every single person sending them a message saying, like, isn't there a tropical storm there? Watch out or you should go home. You should leave. Um, and so the song that we led in with uh, became the house anthem for uh, the final days of our trip, uh, where we just kept talking about how we were going to survive this storm and uh, yelling about it uh, pretty much at random just to get other people's attention. The children were on board. Um, <laughs> so Naturally. Uh, so every everyone was having a grand old time uh riding out the storm with uh not really having anything to ride out at all. It was a very pleasant storm to ride out. I'll say that because everyone else got scared uh Seattle City, New Jersey basically was like seventy five percent of the people that showed up for Labor Day weekend went home uh on Saturday so like, if you wanted to hang out on the beach by yourself and not have to deal with anyone, this was the trip to do it or if you just wanted like acres of space for your child to run around in some sand, uh, this was also good for that, because they could run without ever running into anyone, because there was no one to run into. Sounds nice, and not at all like a recipe for disaster. Uh, no, it was very pleasant. Uh, other than... Uh, I'm trying to think of anything that was even remotely disastrous. My friend Phil uh, accidentally hit his toe on a table and maybe broke it. But that had nothing oh, to do with the weather. Sorry that to was hear just that. an accident. Yeah. Um, that I was feel a like it's a accident. disappointing it's a disappointing Jason story if there's no element of disaster. If it's all triumph. This was this was the one where everyone thought there would be a disaster and there was no disaster. Right. People was, kept saying that there would be a disaster and there was just a nice, pleasant time. It was the bait and switch episode where you're like, it's gonna happen, the other shoe's gonna drop, the other shoe's right. gonna drop. And and nothing. It never did. Just people and, sitting around having a good old time, cooking some food, talking. It's that episode of Space Ghost where Jason just keeps walking across the screen forever, muttering under his breath about how delightful it is. The the drunken disaster, and instead it's just uh, having a couple gin and tonics and grilling some food. Yeah. And surviving. We survived. (laughs) So So basically the exact opposite of DC United's game. Yes. You had to uh, take it there. a, A needed tonic. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by our full contingent of uh, hosts, Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley, are here tonight. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the Washington Spirit, the Richmond Kickers, and the United States national teams, uh, the men's version of which is playing right now in their final semifinal game uh, of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. It's a uh, scoreless in the first half and if you heard me stutter a little bit during that introduction it's because uh a 
couple of players very nearly scored. Uh, Christian Pulisic put the ball off both posts uh, before it rattled out. And so I was kind of aghast at that while I was talking. And now they're showing replays and I can't stop watching. Uh, We're not actually going to talk that much about the national team tonight. We're going to focus on DC United and their team, their, their games against teams from the greater New York City region. Uh, They lost, of course, on Thursday night at Yankee Stadium uh, to NYCFC. And this weekend, they go back up I-95 to New Jersey to face the New York Red Bulls, uh, trying to clinch the Atlantic Cup. Before we talk about either of those things, though, Ben Bromley, welcome back. What are you drinking? So uh, my sister was in town recently, and she brought me a birthday present, and it is... Uh, from a local distillery uh, near where she lives in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, it's from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. And this is called Copper Explosion Moonshine. And it's it says it's made from cane sugar, which makes me think it's kind of like a rum. Mm-hmm. But there must be... It's, but it's made... It's distilled in copper pots, more like a uh, a whiskey. So... I think that's why they call it a moonshine. So let's have a sip. I haven't even tried it yet. Wow. I really hope uh, it has an effect on your voice that would be hilarious. That is, ooh, ah, ooh. <laughs> like, a, like a helium effect? Yeah. That or it, it, ben is a little bit raspy uh, as he still recovers from what's been ailing him. Um, and so I was really hoping that this tonic would, would do wonders for him and his you, voice would come back smoother and better than ever. Super radio well, it's de- voice. It's definitely super making, radio voice. It's definitely making my mouth water. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, it's very, it's very smoky. Okay. Which is, which is interesting. So I kind of, I kind of like it. Moonshine yeah. usually isn't smoky. Mm, this one is, this one came is from it? obviously an explosion. Yeah, your so your your lighting is kind of low. We we record on video even if we don't, you know, put the video out. Uh, so I can see Ben, but his lighting's a little dark. I can't tell if he's drinking a clear whiskey or 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 a brown liquor. Uh, it's, a, it, it's a brown liquor. Okay, so it is aged. So smokiness makes some sense. All yes, right. it's, all, it's also a uh, hundred proof, so that's why it was a little powerful. Yeah, that would That'll that do would it. do it. Yeah, uh, I'm drinking. Um, the perhaps the most filibuster drink uh, possible in a couple of ways. Uh, it, it it turns out just to be uh, bullet bourbon neat uh, or not neat on on the rocks a double of it. Uh, but I had ambitions to make a a double sized Manhattan on the rocks uh, when I started, and so I filled up my old fashioned glass with ice and then put a doubles uh, a double shot of of bourbon in there, and the glass was completely full. And I said. Oh, well, this is what I'll drink. This is extremely <laughs> so, like as if you took me and Ben and mixed us up into one person. And this is the outcome you would get most of the time. Yeah, pretty exactly. Much. It's like I am ambitious. I'm going to try to make something for this. And it didn't work. But it's still, you know, I, I'm not going to complain about the result. I'm drinking a double of bullet bourbon. There, there are many worse things in the world to drink. It's true. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I... Uh, as we've established, was at the beach, and when people go to beach houses they and leave quickly, they leave things behind. Um, and so one thing that was left behind was a box of wine, a Boda box, which I'm not familiar with because I don't drink that much wine. Um, but other people it's were saying it was good. It's one of the most good. famous box wine. Whatever. Uh, it's, it's not, not um, Franzia. Yeah, it's not Franzia. If you're, um, if you're from 1998, maybe. They still make well, it, right? Yeah, Franzia is still yes. out there. It's just not good. Oh, yeah. Is is Franzia's claim to fame? Is it's the bad wine um, yeah. that everyone often seems to have. This um, is not the this is the good box wine you're talking about. I guess the box looks nicer than a Franzia box, um, but it's the Nighthawk Black, um, and I'm also going to have my first sip of it now because I didn't have any at the beach because I had brought a bunch of other stuff to drink and I just didn't. I I assumed it would be gone, and it just kept being there, and then we had to clean out the house, and it was still there, so now I have it. And the verdict is? Pretty good. Pretty fruity. There's like a... Like a it is a red wine. Yeah, I but I mean, it's like a pretty pronounced, like a blackberry, kind of blackberry oh. jam kind of thing going on. It's pretty is good. The, is this the first time Jason's had wine on filibuster? 
No, there's been a couple. We've done enough times where I've done a, a, there are two or three. But it's always been like, there was wine, so I have wine now. It's yeah. never been like, with a purpose. It's been more like, I brought a box of wine home from the beach, and there's some left in it, and I want to get rid of it, so I'm drinking it now. Yeah, that's usually how I end up on wine, too. We had wine with dinner, and there was some left, so that's what I'm drinking. Anyway, I guess we have to talk about soccer now. Mm. DC United managed to blow a lead, come from behind, and give up a late winner all in about 20 seconds. Ultimately, they lost 3-2 to two at Yankee Stadium to NYCFC on Thursday. And this one, for some reason, this one hit me, and I think hit a, based on what, I, what I've seen on the internet, hit a lot of other people harder than, than some other losses recent and earlier in the year. Um, I didn't want to look, think, or talk about soccer for a couple of days after this one. I just said, no, I'm, I can't do it right now. I don't know why this one felt harder. Ben, do you did did you feel a similar effect and do you have any thoughts as to why that might be? Yeah, I definitely felt a similar effect. Uh I think part of it is because this game both on paper and in reality was so winnable. They I mean they had this game and the, and even when they should have won it outright even after they blew that the Nagel goal uh, right near the very end which should have sealed the draw just the gut punch and having that ripped away uh, all of the course of 20 seconds is, is just infuriating and especially with the stakes on the line because if DC United had won this game their chances of making the playoffs would have gone up to like 70% they would have put some space between themselves and Orlando City for the last playoff spot now they're still in a dogfight with Orlando City uh, for that last playoff spot. And I'm really, at this point, cursing the MLS schedule makers that we have to play them twice in these last uh, couple of weeks. So, yeah, it definitely hurt because of the stakes of the game and just because it was so winnable and because it's against dumb NYCFC and their dumb faces with their dumb blue jerseys. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is is how well the first 79 minutes had gone. Yeah. NYCFC created very little danger. United were, you know, a couple of blown sitters away from a three nothing lead, essentially. And then to go on to lose three to two, it's it sucks. It does. Um and it's why you have to finish your chances, and we'll talk about that a little more later in this segment. Um like I said, it was all going so well until the the seventy ninth minute. Um and then that Luke Mishu back pass happened and then the defense shut off on a couple of different plays and both of them ended up with frank lampard shooting the ball into the back of the net oh, jason that too because it's frank lampard uh, I, he he's been i won't say scoring for fun but he's been finding new and creative ways to score um with his knee with his thigh with his butt he he scores with every part of his body and i'm gonna stop there before i get into trouble jason what happened on on those plays? What what do you think Luke Mishu was thinking on that back pass? Why was the defense shut off uh, for both the gut punch goals? Well, first I will say that I think to to address the first question very quickly, um, I think part of it too is the heightened expectation that is uh, in place now with the improved roster and all that. This was our first chance to see that group go on the road and play a road game. And it looked like they were going to get the job done. Um, and so those heightened expectations may have also contributed um, to the reaction that was definitely out there. I mean, some people took it too far as is a tendency for things to happen at sports on the internet, um, treating it the whole game as a referendum for DC United or like life on planet earth or who knows what, <laughs> um, rather than a soccer game on a notoriously, a stadium that has had many, many bizarre and crazy games. Um, Fever dream of a field. Right. But, I think um, that's a good point, though, just to, to dwell on it for a minute, because the the game at Montreal, which was another game that could have been a win, that yeah. that got away late, um, wasn't the first unit. And this right. one, there were a couple of defensive subs, but this was the 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 front four, really the this front, the front six it. attacking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so the fact that they came that close to 
getting the job done and sort of fulfilling all that promise. And, you know, it also touches on the fact that United hasn't been finishing that efficiently uh, with this group. I mean, as much as they've been creating chances and playing better soccer, they're still leaving a lot of goals on the board. And, and this was that game where it was like this game could have been buried um, and been, you know, a statement win, you know, two, three, nothing on the road, blah, blah, blah. And instead it's this three, two loss that really should never have been a loss in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, on the back pass, I think, you know, I think Mishu had it in his head that the center backs were further back than they were, um, or that he was in a different area of the field and the angle uh, the, the angled pass he was making would be easy for Hamid to get to. Um, this is why, you know, these fundamental things, you still have to follow through on them because as good as these players get, you still have to make sure of things like this. And, you have to pick your head up and look. Yeah, and the pass just ends up between uh, Hamid and the center backs, and it's in such a spot that none of the center backs can get to it because they have to spin and chase, whereas Villa just has to chase. Well, and um, Villa was... Let this be a lesson to anyone who complains about a forward lurking in an offside position uh, when the team's in a defensive phase. David Villa doesn't get to that ball, at least not with that kind of space, mm-hmm. uh, if he's hanging around the center backs and kind of marking them. He's just right. hanging out in offside territory, and the ball comes straight to him because you don't make that pass because David Villa is going to be sitting there, and you know that. Right. And so... He he's actually providing a, a different kind of defensive pressure by being there, and, and Mishu didn't see it, and obviously this opportunity yeah. arose. But and it's this could be something where I mean, Via is a smart enough player where he might have noticed something earlier in the game that there were some back passes that looked a little casual to him, and he thought, well, maybe I'll take the the risk of cheating forward a little and just seeing if they happen to hand me one. Certainly on NYCFC's playing surface that this kind of thing happens. It's a weird surface that brings out errors that we don't see anywhere else in the league um, because it is not wide enough for, or it's legally wide enough, but that doesn't mean that it's actually the appropriate width. They may also have flubbed the the measurements and, and right. to take things off the rails very quickly. Uh, something I hope we don't hear on Sunday, Sasha question just scored a goal. Um, Turnover in the box, and he he capitalized it. He blocked a clearance and put it in the net. One nothing USA. Um, but it, I mean, it, it's uh, on the second goal. It's just the game had already gone into uh, crazy territory where people were making mistakes all over the place. Um, NYCFC had gone. Um, I want to say when Kyrie Shelton came on, so. Uh, let's see where he come in. 79th minute. So right, right as right before Villa's goal, um, when Shelton came on, New York went to a three, three, four, and that's not me reading a formation the wrong way. That is, they sent four forwards on with three midfielders and three defenders. Um, because that's what they do. Um, anytime they're losing a game by one, or if they're tied at home, they throw everyone at trying to get it. You know, Patrick Vieira, to his credit, does not settle for a draw, um, at home especially. Um, They will throw everything at you that they can. And they threw everything at DC that they could, and DC was not able to cope. Um, Certainly it would have helped to have the full selection, uh, the full group of players. Um, Having uh, Mishu having to make his second appearance of the season in that sort of, or I guess technically third if you throw the Open Cup in, but, you know, to, to have those kind of numbers, um, which are already very unusual, uh, then throwing in the fact that you're on this uh, one, this very unique field. Um, yeah, but and they cheat on him, too. Right. Go ahead, Ben. And the tiny field helped allow them to play that 3-3-4 because you can get away yes. with having your and defense more, com- more compact covering yeah. a similar amount of space with less players. And, and they know that. Um, and that's why, I mean, at, at halftime, they're, they changed to a 3-5-2. Um, they already went to the back three from that point. Uh, and it's because they they are smart about, like, okay, we play on this surface. It doesn't really suit us, but let's see what we can do tactically to at least get something out of it. It's a little different from the earthquakes at um, Spartan Stadium, 
when they had the tiny playing surface and their their way of dealing with it was just uh, constantly spread the ball wide and hitting crosses over and over and over again. And the rest of it was just about being solid at the back. Uh, NYCFC's approach is very different. It's much more of an aggressive way of trying to turn that field into an asset. Um, and both have been effective. I mean, it took a while for NYCFC to figure it out. Um, but yeah, the, the, thir- the third goal comes from um, a guy with fresh legs tracking a ball down that looks like it's going out. And, and unfortunately, a lot of it wasn't just DeLeon. I think I think DeLeon thought that the worst case scenario was that Shelton would kick the ball off of his shins and it would be a corner. But a lot of the guys in the box all seem to think that that ball's going out. It's going to get out right. of bounds. And that's exactly as that thought was going through their heads. That's when Shelton pokes the ball back in. Um, and Frank Lampard, for as much as we, you know, it's fun to make fun of him, has made a rather lucrative and, and successful soccer career out of making a late run into the box when everyone else is thinking one thing and he pops up in the right spot to score. Um, you know, he deserves some credit for finishing because it was a pretty crowded penalty area. Not that he was being challenged correctly, but there was still a lot of people to aim his shot through. Um, but yeah, it, it was extremely aggravating. You never... You know, how often do you see anyone score a goal in stoppage time to level the score and then not come away with that tie game? Um, that by itself would have made the game ridiculous. But then when you think back over the rest of it, um, the fact that this game could have been put away early um, or early in the second well, half even. Yeah, that's the, the next question I want to ask Ben. Which is more, which is the bigger story? for you out of this game. Um, and w- I guess, which is more infuriating the defensive lapses at the end or the missed big chances throughout the missed big chances throughout. It's gotta be because yeah, DC United shouldn't have had to need to do all that emergency defending at the end and come back uh, near the end. They need to develop to comfortably be a playoff team. They need to develop that ability to score more than two goals when when the opportunities are there. And the opportunities were certainly there throughout this game. And we, we all love Patrick Mullins, and Patrick Mullins is great, is great, but he's got to be able to put some more of those away as well. Yeah, he's... the. The, the makeover this team has received this year has done wonders for chance creation, and, and the team's gone several games in a row now scoring two goals per game uh, or more, which is great and a streak they haven't been on in, in a couple of years at least. Um, but they, they, there are a few games in there that they should have had a lot more goals than they did, or at least a few more goals than they did. And it's, it's a problem. And in this game and in the Montreal game, it came back to, to haunt the team. Um, Luke Mishu obviously had that big flub ruin his night. Let's talk about the other stand-in starter. That's homegrown player Jalen Robinson, who started alongside Bobby Boswell in center defense. Jason, what did you make of his performance? Uh, mostly pretty good um, up until the chaos of the final 15, uh, throwing stoppage time, I mean, I guess it was 15, 16 minutes from when uh, Via scored. Um that part of it was really good. Um, we're talking about he's playing arguably against arguably the best out and out striker in the entire league. And he looked very alert. He looked very, he didn't, I I didn't notice him chasing the game a lot. Like he didn't, there weren't plays where he was mentally like, Oh God, what am I going to do? Um, he didn't have that panic look on his face. Um, but when the game turned crazy, he, I, I wouldn't say he was like more, uh, caught up in that than anyone else, but he was one of the players caught up in it. Um, on the other hand, he did seem to irritate Via so much that Via probably should have been given a red card for trying to yeah. elbow him in the face. Yeah, um, I was going to say in, in between the, the in between the two stoppage goals, uh, which is insane that that many things could happen in between the ninety first and ninety third minute, but they did. Um, but you know, overall, I I think. Uh, it's, it was an interesting choice. Um, obviously there weren't that many other options with, um, Opare and Kemp injured and Burnbaum away. Um, but there, I mean, there were times in the past where I still would have not expected Olsen to give him that chance. Um, or to say, 
I'll give you the start at right back and pull Sean Franklin inside. Um, but his performance against the Revs, uh, what was it, last month, I guess? Or m- maybe a little more time than that. Um, but dealing with Kai Kamara, who has that much of a size advantage over him, um, and really dealing with him comfortably, I think has opened some eyes. And now we see, you know, Olsen's not, he's going to play Robinson when it's time for a center back to step in. He's not going to look for some, you know, out of left field solution where you've got Sean Franklin playing out of position or, um, you know, there was a moment during the game when, uh, we thought, I can't remember who was possibly injured. There was a, a brief few moments where someone looked like they were carrying a knock and it was like, well, who's going to play center back now? Is it, is it move Franklin over and play De Leon as a right back? Uh, is it drop Marcelo in as a center back? Because there were, I mean, United had no other defenders period on, on the, on I think the roster it was for Jaylen. the game. Yeah. I think that um, actually was Robinson. And that, and that was, knock. you know, earlier in this season and even last year when um, I think um, it, it was kind of clear that at the time they weren't willing to give him a chance in, in anything other than open cup games, um, that faith wasn't there. Um, so it does mean a lot for a young, I mean, we have to remember Robinson, if I'm not mistaken, would still be a college player if he just stayed in for the full amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to remember that with, with him. Um, but the fact that their faith is there to start him in a game against David Villa and a high-scoring NYCFC team on a bizarre uh, farce of a playing field, that's that's something. It does mean something. It wasn't, a, you know, no one can say that he was great in that game. If if United had held up, um, if they win that game one nothing or, or finish it out with the goals uh, earlier in the game um, and they come away with a shutout, maybe we're talking about it a little more. Um, because with center backs, that's the, the issue is that you have to get that full 90 in where you don't have a single mistake or a single issue. And 79 minutes are great, but you need to get to 90 or we talk about problems that, you know, the f- closer yeah. you get to goal, the more likely one mistake is the mistake that you get stuck with. Um, but we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater in this one. You know, Robinson had a big chunk of a very good game against a team that's very difficult to deal with. So it's right. progress, I he, would say. When he failed, it was when the rest of the team was also failing. Yeah, it wasn't like it's the team lost like because of Jalen Robinson's mistakes. Um, it right. was a collective yeah, failure, exactly right. and he was unable to rise above that. But, I mean, that happens to almost every player across the entire yeah. league. I think, I think there's an individual mistake on Boswell's part that's at least as bad as anything Robinson dealt with, which was on the the ball where Kyrie Shelton played it back in from what looked like it was about to be a goal kick. Bobby Boswell kind of stayed deep and didn't get back into the play. He just kind of watched the play. And then when the ball got to Lampard, he said, oh, crap, I got to go. And mm-hmm. by then it was too late. Um, whereas Robinson was actually playing. He's the reason that uh, I don't know who got on the ball first, but Lampard was actually the second guy to get on the ball after Kyrie Shelton put it back in. So that's down to Robinson forcing it to him. It ended up in a goal, but Robinson was in position when, when Boswell wasn't. Um, let's end this segment uh, talking a little bit, very briefly, and not in overly strong words about Chris Penso, who I felt had a night he will not necessarily want to replicate. He he is considered one of the best refs in the league this year. He refed the All-Star game. Uh, this is a guy that, that MLS is kind of treating as, as uh, a, you know, someone to be emulated in this game though. I felt he was, he was a bit overwhelmed by the, the bright lights of NYCFC stars. Um, two of DC United's players were basically fouled off the field. In this one, Patrick Niarco took elbows. He was fouled in the first minute. He was fouled in the second minute. He was fouled all throughout the game. And Luciano Costa was fouled almost as much um, and not a single NYCFC player saw a yellow card. David Villa threw a freaking elbow, didn't make contact, but he threw an elbow really plain he as an day. Elbow, he threw an elbow while arguing with Penso. Yeah. Like he was verbally arguing with Penso while managing to throw it. So he was calling attention to what was happening. And in um, nothing, no cards, yellow or red. Um, DC United, I think someone figured out DC United saw two yellow cards in their first six fouls while NYCFC committed 20 ish 
maybe a little less, maybe a little mm-hmm. more, somewhere around 20 fouls without a single yellow card, um, which different fouls are different. That can happen and be fair. In this game, I don't feel that it was. I felt that uh, Chris Pinto was a thumb on the scale. Um, I know for a f- very certainly he did not mean to be, but he did not have a good game, and it certainly benefited one team over the other. And that's unfortunate, but I feel that um, he should be called out on his performance. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know that he was necessarily overwhelmed by the the occasion. Um, certainly, and to, I hate to keep harping on it, but playing on a field like that, playing on that tiny surface, and it used to happen with the quakes a lot too. Referees tend to just get confused because things are happening too fast, and it's not it's not the pace of game you're used to as a referee, and it's it's a little perplexing. It's there's so much going on. Obviously, there's a lot of um, big names, and we we know for a fact that MLS referees have, over the years, developed a, a long history of giving those players the benefit of the doubt, or if you're David Beckham, allowing you to do literally Just anything murder. you want. Um, but uh, I don't know that that was so much the problem. Is it just that I think he was just a, the the game was happening a little too fast for him? Um, I do think at some point just the sheer number of fouls from NYCFC, not the harshness of the fouls, but just the the repetitive nature of it should mm-hmm. have seen a – because the referees don't have to give persistent infringement fouls just for one player committing too many fouls. No, if it's he, targeting if a, referee, a player or the whole right, team. If a referee detects the a tactic of committing fouls to stop breakouts in general, or if it's foul this guy whenever he's on the ball um, – he doesn't have to wait for player A to commit three or four fouls. He can say, listen, you as a group, all of you are doing this, and I see what you're doing, and I'm going to punish the guy that committed this last foul because this is the line, that, you know, this is the last one. Um, and with the fact that it was so often um, Niarco and so often Acosta, I feel like that should have been fairly obvious. And one card might have stemmed the tide a little bit. Um, but all that said... Um, you know, as much as I was upset at the time that the red card uh, wasn't brought out on Via, because I feel like that does it, it by its very nature changes the game. There's a big stoppage. You don't have DC gets a chance to breathe and collect their thoughts. New York loses a player that means a lot to them. They're now attacking with ten. That that three three four becomes a three three three, or or Josh Saunders goes for it. I don't know what they do, but it does lower the likelihood of DC ending up with a loss in this game. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I thought that it was just, he struggled with everything that was happening and there was a lot happening. Um, but I also feel like MLS is always going to send the referees that are higher rated to those, the NYCFC games, uh, at least when they're at home because of that surface, because if you send one of the lesser referees into that, you don't know what you're going to get. It's going to be like a CONCACAF Champions League game. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you can't have that. So you do yeah. your best and you hope it, hope it works. And this time it didn't really work. Yeah. Like I said, Chris Pinto has been one of the highest rated refs over the last this season and, and into last year. And and props to him. And I hope he, he treats this game as a learning opportunity and does better next time he, he refs either of these teams or is in charge of a game that does get really physical and involves, you know, some elbows throwing. Cause Patrick Nyarko took an elbow and, and you can argue it was an inadvertent elbow, but the, the play that put him on the ground right before he was subbed off involved in him taking an elbow on a head on a, right. an aerial challenge. And, and that's an issue. And it, it, it might've been clean. It might not have, but it, it was part of a pattern in this game that, that revealed itself over the course of it. And Penso, I, I think, deserves some some criticism on it, and hopefully he he learns from it. I'm not saying he should be fined. I'm not saying he should be suspended. I'm I'm not one of those people who says that refs need to face harsh penalties when they when they mess up. I just hope you're not, that he, when you're not trying to PR bring back the stocks, what's that? You're not trying to bring back the stocks. I am not. There are some referees that I would like to see in stocks, but as a, a matter of principle, I'm not going to openly call for it. Um, I just hope that when when PRO sits down this week at their headquarters and and reviews the the film, that Chris Pinso is forced to answer some questions he's not totally comfortable with, and that he comes across comes out a better referee as a result of it. 
that's that's where we'll end this discussion we will be right back to talk about the hated metros so stick around this is filibuster the black and red united podcast hey ben um you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment would you you can tell Uh, me depends i mean well i should ask you i mean is are goats hostile uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, and it's time to talk about the Atlantic Cup. DC United uh, will look to clinch the 2016 edition of the Atlantic Cup Sunday afternoon in New Jersey, where the, the Metros haven't suffered a home loss in a very long time, since April. And they haven't lost anywhere since July 3rd, so it's going to be uh, not the easiest of tasks for... DC United in this one. This game will be on ESPN, one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Uh, since the two-two draw between United and the Red Bulls at RFK last month, the Red Bulls have two one-nothing wins, which is a bit of a change for them. Those are the first one-nothing wins they've gotten since May, and they didn't have a lot before that either. Jason, is this a, a change in the Metros, or uh, mm-hmm. is this kind of? Uh, happenstance uh a little a little more happenstance i think um certainly they've found a little bit better um or i I shouldn't say they've found they've stopped having so many defensive injuries um but uh the main thing i think is that they've just been able to get back to what worked in the past for them um the fact that dax mccarty missed out and sean davis filled in that well uh, certainly that kind of proved that their system really is back and firing more or less on all cylinders. Um, the fact that Bradley Wright Phillips didn't score for the first seven or eight games of the year and still is in the golden boot race um, uh, certainly indicates that they just sort of lost their way. I think, um, and we've talked about this before with regards to the Red Bulls, I think that Marsh's attempt to fit a different formation and he it took too much of his time um, it took too much of their practice time without, you know, refinding, you know, you go to the off season, you have to sort of relearn the stuff that, that was working just fine in the previous fall. Um, having to, having to spend all that time on other things rather than, um, getting back on your feet with the, the plan a, so to speak. Um, I don't think they dealt with that very well. Um, and it took them a while to get it together. Uh, and now they've really started to find it where they can plug guys in, um, the Red Bulls two team is, is doing very well in USL despite often fielding teenagers. Um, and it's, they play the exact same way. And so when they've had problems, um, they've been able to bring guys in that don't play very much and actually get adequate results. Um, they'll have to do that again this weekend because, uh, both of their normal starting wingers are suspended just like Lucho Acosta is suspended. So, that's going to make things a little interesting as far as who's going to generate the chances. We'll um, talk about that a little more later yeah, in the segment. But uh, overall, I, I think that they've just gotten back to what worked for them. And I, I don't know if, if they run into a situation, you know, 
the whole thing with Marsh looking for a plan B was that last year in the playoffs, uh, Columbus really showed um, how to deal with the Red Bulls. The, 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 the best They had the best look against the Red Bulls that really anyone had all year, and the Red Bulls did not have anything in place. They were just left looking confused. Um, and so I, I can see the reaction to that saying, like, we have to have something else to go to in case the, the normal way of playing doesn't work. The problem is that I don't think he's settled on, you know, this four two two two. it didn't, it, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really get their best players in good spots. So, um, I would encourage him to try it again this weekend, um, <laughs> to keep, to keep hammering away at it, uh, sporadically and without really, uh, thinking it through, but most likely it won't be, we won't be seeing that. I don't think that he's going to solve this problem by trying the four two 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 yet again, because, that's what they were playing at the start of the game uh, at RFK that they lost two nothing. Um, they have had terrible success with that. So, um, or I shouldn't say terrible success, a terrible lack of success. Um, but yeah, I think if they stick to what they're good at, they are a very dangerous team. And obviously, their home record points to that too. That um, this is a team that knows is very confident when they take the field at Red Bull Arena, and you have to really give them a reason to be shaken up a little bit. You have to give them something to to not be so confident about to get anything out of a trip there because they've been so good at home. Yeah, and one guy who's been very good for them all year and very good for the U.S. national team in two appearances uh, in the last week is Sasha Kleschen. He's having a ridiculous statistical year for the Red Bulls, and that's mostly on the assist side. For the U.S., he's scoring goals. He scored a goal tonight. He scored two uh, against St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which, you know, asterisk for being St. Vincent and the Grenadines, he still scored two goals. Uh, what's working for question specifically, because he seems to be the driving force in the midfield for the Red Bulls this year in a way that even more so than he has been in the past. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think, um, I mean, some of it, the, the numbers that jump out, you have to remember his set piece ability. Um, his set piece delivery has been so sure. good. Um, but a lot of it is that, Question doesn't have the eye-popping skill. I mean, it's not to say he's not a good player, but he doesn't have the eye-popping skills of a lot of other players that get that responsibility. He's just very good at keeping the game simple, and he also takes up excellent spots, so he makes the game easy on himself. Um, and the fact that the Red Bulls throw numbers forward tends to confuse defenses, and lanes open up that aren't really... that a lot of other teams don't create those lanes, and he finds them, he knows where they're going to be, and he takes advantage um, but a lot of it is just doing the simple things correctly, um, using his size uh, to help as well because he's not built like a normal MLS number 10. Um, and and he's got a good rapport with the guys around him. Um, the The way that Mike Grella plays, I think, helps question a lot. The pl- way that Bradley Wright Phillips plays helps question a lot. And so he's surrounded with the guys that really think the game the same way as he does. Um Alex Mule has sort of joined in as uh, the the workhorse that that helps them out by just doing so much extra work uh, defensively that those three can oftentimes it can even take a playoff because um, Mule runs so much though he is one of those guys that's going to be out. Um, but mostly it's just a, a a repeated ability to keep the game simple, and it sounds like. Well, yeah, of course you'd want to keep things simple. That's like uh, anyone wants to keep anything simple. You don't want to keep your your job from getting too complicated. But soccer is very hard to play simply. Um, it's mm-hmm. very hard to keep keep yourself from having to you, – you, all of a sudden you find yourself in a very complicated problem. And avoiding those moments is such a big skill. And question is one of the best players in the league at keeping the game simple and, and – making sure that it's not just easy on him, but that his teammates are getting the ball in spots where it's easy on them too. Um, so that's the main thing for him is just his ability to find pockets where the game isn't so hard to play. And that comes down to thinking ahead, um, getting to those spots, having the speed. You know, He's got underrated speed. He's not like Dominic Oduro fast, but for a central player, he can get those 10, 15 yards he has to cover to get to that spot. He seems to get there more quickly than a lot of defensive midfielders see it. Um, and it's not just that he thinks faster than he is faster than in a lot of cases. Um, but just that little burst to get himself into a pocket where he, if his first touch isn't the best first touch ever, 
he still has the time to shuffle his feet and get the pass away anyway. And that's how you keep the game simple for yourself is by not making a mistake at first means you have an easier job on your hands when it's time to actually move the ball along or take a shot or what have you. So you've mentioned a couple of times how the Red Bulls will be without two of their their, their two first choice wingers in this one, Mike Grella and Alex Mule out, uh, both on suspension, just like Luciano Costo, who we will talk about soon enough. How will the Red Bulls look to adjust? Uh, we know they've got a couple of big name players coming in for this one. Uh, I mean, Clashton will come back, um, so he'll plug right in, which will mean Felipe um, and McCarty will be back uh, reunited as the the holding midfielders in the four two three one. Um, most likely, uh, as my there we go. Um, most likely, it'll be. Daniel Royer, the uh, Austrian that they just signed in the transfer window, he'll be playing on one wing. Um, I'm interested to see who what they do with the other side because Gonzalo Verona has spent a lot of time on the wing, but it's clear that he's not effective there. Um, I, I, I think anyone, you could watch him play for 15 minutes there and say, if you know even a little bit about soccer, you say, this guy is not comfortable with this job. Um, the problem is they don't really have uh, anyone else that fits the the, the description. Um, Omar Omer Damari, uh, another player they signed in the transfer window, is a, more of a second forward than a winger. Um, I do think that they might try that because Verona is so obviously not worked out. Um, they could, uh, and I might be talking myself into this, they could try to go back to that 4-2-2-2 with Question and... Uh, Royer on the wings, so to speak, cut, they'd both be cutting inside, and then you would have Bradley Wright Phillips and Damari or possibly Verone partnering up front. Um, that would be great news because that system doesn't work for them. Um, but more likely than not, I think we're going to see the simplest solution because Marsh knows what works and what doesn't at this point. I would hope he's he's finally, for his own sake, I would hope he's like, all right, fine, this isn't going to work. Um at which point you get Verone out of position, maybe a little uncomfortable, but not the let's change the whole team around and be a demonstrably worse group just to see if this will work one more time. Um, Sean Wright Phillips might be in people's minds because he's you know his whole career was spent as a winger, but at this point he doesn't have the speed for it. And he often, it's weird, he travels like, I think he travels for just about every game they play. Uh and he makes the bench every single time, and he almost never gets in. Um, so it's just kind of confusing. I'm not really sure what they bring him for at that point. Right. Um, but he's probably not going to be play. He's probably not going to be the guy that comes in. Um, a couple of years ago, he would have been a pretty obvious solution on the right, but he's not fast enough anymore. And I think everyone in New York knows it. And I don't think they're going to try and force that. It's just the other solutions are also kind of a square peg, round hole um, issue. On DC United's side, uh, we know Luciano Costa will be out for this one, suspended for yellow card accumulation after getting, I guess, his fifth uh, against NYCFC last week. Uh, ben, who do you want to see in midfield for his spot? Because we're, we're going to assume that the, the 4-1-4-1 uh, sticks around for this week. And as, as centered as it is on Lucho Acosta, I would prefer to see the system stay even when Acosta is not available rather than going to a 4-4-2 um, oh, yeah, like we might have seen early in the year. Who do you want to see step into that spot? Who do you want to see in the, I guess more broadly, who do you want to see in the three central midfield spots uh, with Acosta out? Uh, well, I'll give you two answers. Who I, who I want to see and who, who I think we'll see. Who I want to see is um, Marcelo, obviously, uh, Probably Rob Vincent, actually, although Jared Jeffrey might be back. Uh, and uh, I'd love to see uh, Julian Boucher in there as the uh, third midfielder, as the more attacking midfielder. Um, what I think we'll actually see is Marcelo, Jared Jeffrey, and Nick DeLeon going back to that midfield, uh, which would be okay because Nick DeLeon finally had that goal that he's been working for and uh, finally had somewhat of a breakthrough, but I think he and uh, Jeffrey kind of play too similar of a role in that system, and having someone more attack-minded uh, like Boucher in there would be uh, preferable to me. 
And I know I know the coaching staff is enamored with Jeffrey, but I've, I just really liked what Vincent has brought uh, to that system. I think he almost provides a little more balance than what Jeffrey provides. So I, even if Jeffrey's healthy, I'd kind of like to see Vincent continue to get a chance and maybe one day one of those long-range cracks that he's uh, famous for and has been threatening with will actually go in. Yeah, one thing about Vincent is when he's come in, he's actually almost pushed Marcelo into one of the higher midfield roles, and Vincent exactly. has taken that that more deep lying role, in, and Marcelo's kind of floated between, and it's at yeah, times and I, almost been more of a four two three one, not I mean, kind of, but not really. So it's it's a more think, it's a different look, I think, tactically with Vincent in there. I think you're right. Yeah, and I, I think it actually plays more to Marcelo's strengths and allows. Uh, him to be a little more roaming and a little more uh, free to pick his spot, more like a uh, Jermaine Jones uh, rather than uh, rather than being forced to stay further back. Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism of Marcelo, uh, both criticism and and assessment. I guess uh, there are times when he's the lone defensive midfielder that he can get out of position, sucked to the side, sucked up field, uh, what have you, but. Um, having another guy in there to give him that that positional freedom uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think a lot of us thought Jared Jeffrey was that guy uh, until he started playing ahead of Marcelo earlier this year. But Vincent, even though he came onto the team as a goal-scoring winger, now he, he appears to be a number six. And he says that's his more comfortable position. So uh, I guess I don't have a so for that. It's just an interesting... <laughs> phenomenon that's worked out very well for United in this exact this specific situation Jason elsewhere on the field and more generally how do you want to see DC United game plan for the Red Bulls this week uh they've got to be prepared to break the pressure that first layer of pressure um that is the whole thing with the Red Bulls um if you can't break that pressure it's going to keep coming and it's going to keep causing you defensive problems and you end up needing your goalkeeper to be brilliant and you need your center backs to be brilliant um, at specifically at emergency defending. Um, if you can't escape that level, that first, that first run um, you're pretty much sitting back, hanging on and hoping for some sort of jailbreak counter. But that's not a, a we've seen this before when United got into a funk uh, each for like three or four years now. Um, that's not a, you get stuck playing that way. You don't tend to win very much. It's not a conducive, it's not conducive to winnings at soccer. Um, so United's got to find a way to deal with that. They've got to be able to pass out of the back a little bit. They can't get reduced into a long ball game. They are going to be better at that, uh, than they have been in recent years. Now that Mullins is able to win, uh, win headers like Sabo, but actually be mobile about it. Um, but it's still not the best way for this group to play. It's not very likely, especially for a team with Aurelian and Colin back there. It's not really a good plan. You end up losing all of those headers or most of those headers, and then you're chasing second balls. And Dex McCarty uh, is one of the best players in the league at picking up those those loose balls and turning them into more possession. So you've got to be able to find a way to play through it. And if you do, all of a sudden you find that. They're, you're bypassing of three or four players. You've got the Red, the Red Bulls defense isn't actually that good at diagnosing plays early. Um, and you can really get them scrambling and get them confused and uncomfortable. And all of a sudden that pressure drops off. Um, you, you don't have the Red Bulls throwing the numbers that they do um, if you give them something to be afraid of. But you've got to do it and you've got to do it early. Um, if you let... The Red Bulls are a very much of a, a momentum team. If you let them feel like the press is working and they start to feel like their game plan is the one that's going to pay off, they get very confident and it tends to be a sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so the early stages of the game, United has to play well, um, which they've actually been fairly good at this year on the road. Um, it's just you've got to get through that stretch and then not have a letdown. Um, you can have a stretch where you're not playing as well, but you can't have a clear drop in play. Um, and the way the Red Bulls play also tends to tire teams out. 
Um, and we're talking about the last two road games we've seen United give up late goals, four, four late goals and two road games. Um, if you get tired, you can't be going into that stretch tired and clinging to a one-goal lead or at a, or 0-0 or 1-1 or what have you um, and expect to come out of it with three points or even one point because the Red Bulls, the, they when they can't just run someone off the field, they're content with the fact that the energy that they put into games means that the other team is usually just out of gas. Um, actually, I should pull up my... I keep a little thing for my... The Red Bulls haven't scored a ton of goals in stoppage time, but they've been very good historically late in games. Um, this year's kind of a bad example, but it's also... Um, the little table I'm pulling up is a goals scored in stoppage time table, which isn't really <laughs> indicative of anything. It's just sort of a uh, sadness or happiness index because, you know, if you score in the 88th minute, it's almost like the same thing. And also, yeah, if your team it's is point good... It's a stolen index. Yeah, and if your team is good, uh, you probably don't have to score a bunch of goals in stoppage time to get the job done. That um, said, in a lot of blowouts, there's usually a stoppage time patter for, for the winning team, like Nick DeLeon's right. sixth goal against uh, the Fire. Right. Um, but, and also, I now that I think about it, I haven't updated it with this past weekend's games because I was at the <laughs> beach. Um, so it, it's not even all that relevant. Anyway. This is, this is um, the kind of person jason is in in case any listeners didn't know he has a table that he updates religiously every week with well if you don't if tables. you don't keep it updated you fall behind and then you're doomed um you'll it'll never get <laughs> like back. i said religious yes. fervor um from, from jason on this one but so one one specific question i want to want to ask about going back to the red bulls pressure mm-hmm. is if united is having trouble dealing with it bobby boswell steve birnbaum uh and they do have to to send it long, is there a way to recover from that, or is that pretty much from there you're hanging on? Uh, at that point, the only, the only real way to turn that into a strategy that doesn't end in just hanging on, you've got to outwork uh, McCarty and Felipe, and you've got to be not just harder working than them, but you've got to anticipate where those second balls are going to be, and you have to start winning... Um, 50-50 tackles with guys that are very good at winning exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, you end up basically playing a game that those player, those two players are very, very good at, and you have to find a way to match them at something that is their kind of deal. Um, United is certainly capable of that. It's not like they're unassailable. Um, but it's with, an uphill battle from there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much a very, better to to keep your composure and, you know, Keep your composure and also not overdo it by turning it over in your own end. Right, and it does require a certain level of bravery um, to take that chance because defenders, especially in the U.S., defenders are usually taught to think in terms of caution first, um, which is Mm -hmm. why we we talk so much about the teams that are actually willing to build out of the back and keep the ball. Um, It's because those teams, are. it's hard to assemble a team like that in MLS because most MLS defenders are still of the mindset that we see a lot from Boswell, to use him as an example, um, where the default to just just get it upfield is to, it comes too early. Um, and some of that, too, is just a lack of the ability on the first touch to set yourself up to get the ball on the ground where it needs to go. You know, If your first touch isn't perfect and you're playing against a high-pressure team, you end up with a choice where I, you, you have to kick the ball long or you will give up a dangerous chance. Um, so setting yourself up is certainly a uh, part of the deal. Um, but overall, I think, you know, in, in the hypothetical scenario where United is having to play long, uh, because they can't break the pressure, United needs Nick DeLeon to produce an enormous game. Um, if it's, uh, Buescher, if it's, um, Vincent, Jeffrey, wh- whoever ends up in that second central midfield spot is going to have to come up with a huge game. Those guys are going to have to have a ton of recoveries. Um, uh, Marcelo is going to have to be very, very active as well. Jump in, he's going to have to jump forward to help them out, most likely, um, mm-hmm. which comes with the risk of possibly giving Clutchin a little extra room. Um, so that and that's part of the way. That's part of why the Red Bulls want to play the way they do, um, and that's why it's successful in MLS. Is that if you force teams to play long ball against them, they are prepared to win that game. Um, and it, it has helped, certainly. 
they've struggled when they've lost um, guys like Colin and Perrinell when they've, they've had to play like Chris Duvall at center back because they aren't winning those those long balls so cleanly and that sort of causes a domino effect. But that won't right. – unless those guys get injured in the next couple of days, that's not happening. Those guys are going to be out there, which means they're going to be dominant in the air, which means if United has to go long, they're going to have to find a way to win the second balls against guys that are excellent at it. You, I, I guess if you really got inventive, you could try and tell Mullins to pull out wide. He's got some experience playing on the left. Um, just tell him to pull out wide a lot. Um United has actually mixed that in a little bit further in the midfield with um, uh, Acosta and Niarco switching spots. And Acosta will pull very far out wide uh, to the left, and Niarco will just sort of... He'll take up that space between midfield and attack. Um, he's not really a second forward at that point. He's just sort of in between. He's just sort mm-hmm. of making room for Lucho. Um, but this is a different thing. This would be more of a target winger idea, but then you need somebody jumping up to occupy the center forward uh, area. So it's a pretty difficult challenge if if you end up having to go long against the Red Bulls, and that's what they're, that's what, really what any soccer team is looking for with any plan that they come up with is, let's make it difficult for this other team, and if they can rise to the occasion, so be it. Um, DC does that with Bill Hamid. You know, say, if you're going to score on Bill Hamid, it's going to be an excellent goal. Um, if you can beat him, then, you know, good for you. Um and that's really that's what the whole game is about. And the Red Bulls happen to have a plan that really underlines all of that very dramatically. So we've gone this far without talking about Lloyd Sam, who is uh, the latest member of the played for good and evil club. Um, in his case, going from evil to good, of course, joining DC United from the Red Bulls. Um, and I think he's got to have a big game. And I think that's true for Patrick Niarco as well. I think. They, they've both been outstanding for DC United when DC United have been good under this new system. And with Acosta gone, that's going to be even more true uh, or need to be even more true on Sunday. Um, how can United find some success on the wings in this game, even without Acosta out there? Uh, well, they might actually be in business because I know this past weekend... Um, the Red Bulls ended up without a natural left back. Um, I don't recall if there was a suspension there or something else going on. Um, but if that's the case, then certainly the option of just, uh, oh, it's because Kamar Lawrence is away for international duty. Um, so he'll be, he'll be back. back. So, um, the good news is that he hasn't really been that good this year. Um, so (laughs) I think the good news is that. Sam uh, has been able to get himself into spots where he can be involved. Um, him and Franklin have been good at finding themselves, certainly in the, in the example of a press. Um, getting the ball wide quickly will reduce some of that danger, and then maybe Franklin can play up the wing rather than going long. Um, long through the air, I should say. I mean, the pass might still be 20, 30 yards, but um, we're not talking about a thump up field towards Mullins. It'll be a little quicker, a little more of a... Uh, aesthetically acceptable pass, I guess the best way to put it. Um, And those two have combined pretty well repeatedly and getting that going might help certainly without Grella around, they'll have um, a less familiar player defending that on the left. So that'll help. Um, And we might see United, especially, you know, whenever Niarco takes a a knock to the head, you have to be concerned as to whether he's going to come back. We haven't heard that that's the problem, that that problem is going to happen. But we never do with DC United until the last possible moment. Well, that, that and and with with Niarco especially, you know, you can get a, a knock on the head when you've had multiple concussions and have like symptoms two three days later. Um, so hopefully that's not a concern. But if that is a concern, then United's going to be pretty heavily tilted to that side of the field anyway. Um, you know, without Acosta, who tends to drift left, if he if he drifts to a side, it's certainly to the left. Um, if if Niarco is unavailable, then you know that would just add to it. But even without Acosta on the field, I think United might be a little more right sided in the first place. And I know that Olsen is going to talk to Sam about how these are the guys that gave up on you. These are the guys that 
wanted to get rid of you because of Gonzalo Verone, or he, I'm sure he's, he's already talked to him and figured out the player that is the one that's the most irritating to Sam. Um, <laughs> the one that is like, that's the guy you wanted yeah. to play over me. And I'm sure it's going to come up a lot this week. Um, and that's part of the game too, is, uh, finding a way to get, it happens so often that players get revenge on their old team, so to speak. And a lot of it has to do with that extra motivation. And it's not that, um, in this case, I don't know that we're going to see a special tactical maneuver to make it happen as much as it's just going to be about let's feed Sam the ball uh, whenever we can and let's see what he can get going, especially if, you know, Lawrence hasn't been that good this year. Um, without Grella there to help him out, uh, to help shield things, I think we're going to see an emphasis on that right-sided play, whether, I mean, even even if we were talking about a midfield of De Leon and Jeffrey um, and, and Buescher is left out. I still think those, those, those two plus Marcelo, they're going to be looking to the right, maybe a little more often than they do, because on this team, you know, Acosta aside, of course, you're going to look to Niarco because he's been so good this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this game, we may see him closer to a more balanced, um, approach, if not actually tilted to the right, um, for just the reason that, you know, maybe this is the game that Sam, uh, maybe getting that goal uh, last week uh, has opened up. Because out of the attacking group, he was the one that was lagging behind statistically. Um, and now he's got his breakthrough, and now maybe this is his chance to say, you know, this is what you left behind, this is what you, you messed up. Um, we know for a fact that he was very good in this rivalry. Um, yeah. He would he would step his game up for this. So we know that that's in there, that um, big game mentality. And bringing that out is going to be big because without Acosta, you need that extra, that extra creativity from the rest of the guys on the team. Even if even if Olsen does go with Buescher and does opt for the most natural playmaker replacement in central midfield, they, that still means that the rest of the attackers have to step their games up and, and deliver a little more than normal because. Acosta is that good, you know, you know, even, even if Buescher plays well, he's still not quite this, that level of player. So a guy like Sam's under some pressure from multiple fronts, but he's shown that he's up for that uh, a lot of times. So that's, that's a positive, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lloyd Sam's been a gamer his whole time in MLS. Um, he kind of steps up when the lights are the brightest. So hopefully this will be one of those cases on national TV. And, and as for Buescher stepping into midfield, I think the, the last couple of weeks, seeing him get some minutes are mm-hmm. a, a positive sign that, that we might actually see him then. So hooray for that. Yeah. Uh, um, and if we do, I will say that this, that the, the, I don't know if we can still call it the new formation, the system we've been running the last couple months, mm-hmm. uh, the four, one, four, one suits him a lot more than playing him as a second forward. And I think that's true for Acosta too, but it's even more true for Buescher who, as much as some people want to see him as a number 10, I think he's still kind of an eight plus he's an attacking minded. I think he's better a little, a little bit further from goal and this formation allows him to take up those positions. So hopefully we do see him and he, he breaks through in this game and Lloyd Sam gets some revenge and everything goes gangbusters for DC United. And we all drink champagne next week on the show and it'll be awesome. Um, (laughs) If that happens, then I'll be very happy. Um, We'll find out, though, soon enough. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and the uh, podcatcher of your choice. Mostly, though, tell a friend about us when you're at the bar on Sunday afternoon, like the degenerate that you know and that you know that we love um we will talk to you real soon for jason and ben i am adam say goodbye jason goodbye jason